Here-we-go-loopy-loo Here-we-go-loopy-light Here-we-go-loopy-loo All on a Saturday night Hello, this is Luby with Luby's Lullabies podcast. Here in the UK, it's a very wet, rainy and actually just now a bit of thunder and lightning day. So what better things to do than me talking to you about a little bit more about Damascus Station by David McCloskey. It really was quite an astounding book and still with me in my thoughts. So I thought I'd share the first uh, para- uh, the first chapter with you. So here we go. Um The early years of the Syrian uprising. Eight hours into his surveillance detection route, Sam's grip on the steering wheel loosened and his pulse began to slow. He had made three stops in and around Damascus and executed the planned turns on the SDR, each time scanning for watchers, his eyes darting between the mirrors. At each stop he'd lingered, trying to draw out opposition surveillance. The heat burned through the windshield and the air conditioner struggled to keep up. His back hurt and his shoulders felt permanently hunched over. He hit traffic and idled the car in an intersection mercifully shaded by palm and pine. Sam drummed his fingers on the wheel and checked the mirrors as the light lingered red, comparing each vehicle to a mental catalogue of the cars he had seen earlier in the day. The light turned green. A Mukha Bharat officer in a leather jacket marched into the road with his hand up and gestured, gestured for the first car in line to stay in place. A car behind him honked. Another Mukabarat officer now dragged onto the road a sawhorse emblazoned with stickers of President Bashar al-Assad and waved the first car forward. Someone yelled that it was a checkpoint. Though it was the sixth of the day, Sam's heartbeat picked up again. Non-official cover meant everything was on the line. There would be no diplomatic immunity if he was caught. There would be no trade. He would disappear into a basement prison... If you weren't twitchy driving into a hostile country with no lifeline, you were probably a sociopath. He slid the passport from his breast pocket and placed it on the dashboard. The document was Canadian, dark blue, tourist, and included a picture of a man named James Hansen. The photo was Sam's, as was the birthday. He had collected the document from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service on a slushy spring day in Ottawa after touring the office spaces of the recently established, yet non-existent, Orion Real Estates Investment, LLC. The cover was fully fully backstopped. Humans would answer the phone and respond to emails. The Canadians, only too happy to participate, participate in exchange for a seat at the debriefing table once Komodo was safe at Langley. For even friendly intelligence services do not share, they trade. Komodo was one of the most productive assets in Damascus Station stable. Middle-aged, lonely, a creepy, a, a little creepy according to the ops cables, he was a mid-level scientist in Syria's Scientific Studies and Research Centre, the SSRC, the organisation responsible for Assad's chemical weapons. The NSA believed that the Syrians had breached Komodo's covert communication system and so, over the course of a frenetic day, Langley had built an exfiltration plan that involved Sam driving into Syria under commercial cover to get the asset out. CIA also decided to bring home Val Owens, Komodo's handling officer. 
Sam and Val had served together in Iraq, her first tour, his third. They had become close, like family. Val was a friend and Asset's life was on the line and when he thought of those two things, his heart rate picked up again as a soldier waved him forward. A young soldier with hard eyes and a wispy moustache approached the driver's window and asked for documents. Sam held eye contact for a respectful second, then gave him the passport, already turned to the page with the 90-day Syrian visa, and stared out the windshield toward the highway. The soldier flipped through the book, scanned around as if questioning whether to call his supervisor, then squinted at Sam. Why in Syria, he asked in heavily accented English. Business, Sam said in Arabic. The soldier nodded to one of his approaching comrades, their eyes nervously searching the parked cars and buildings. The regime controlled this part of the city, but rebels and jihadists sometimes hit the checkpoints. Suicide bombings, rocket-propelled grenades, the run-and-gun tactics that he'd seen during his tour in Baghdad, all of it was increasingly common in Damascus. The soldier set his jaw and smacked the passport into his own palm. Open the trunk, he told Sam. Sam pressed the button to open the rear hatch. Another soldier opened the back and removed Sam's suitcase, thunking it onto the pavement. Is it locked, the soldier said. No, Sam said. He heard unzippering and the muffled sound of clothes being tossed back into the car. Why is nothing folded, the other soldier asked. Because I have already been through several checkpoints today, Sam said. Rental, the first officer, the first soldier said, smacking the car's, the driver's door with the butt of his AK-47. Sam nodded. Papers. Sam opened the glove compartment and handed the soldier a jet of papers indicating the car belonged to Rainbow Rentals of Amman, Jordan. As the soldier reviewed the papers, Sam shoved his from his mind the image of an Amman station mechanic using a mannequin, precisely matching Komodo's height and weight. 5 foot 5, 145 pounds, to illustrate how to fold a human into a specially fabricated trunk compartment. The soldier handed back the papers. What type of business, Mr Hansen? Real estate investment. Villas out here, maybe some homes in the old city. The villas are cheap now. Yes, said Sam. Yes, they are. The suitcase is fine, said the uh, man behind the car. The soldier handed back the passport and grunted. Move along. Clear of the checkpoint, he nosed the car into the M1 highway and toward the old city as the Maghrib, the sunset call to prayer, rang from the muzins of the mosques. The evening traffic was light. Syrians now rushed indoors at nightfall to avoid the mortars lobbed between the regime and the rebels. As the sun dipped below the horizon behind him, his body now agreed with what his mind had already concluded. He was black, free of surveillance. For a moment he felt relief. Then the second guessing began, an SDR ritual for every CIA officer since the first training, wheels run at the farm. This was the bitch of the mission, the cold fact that you could never be sure that it was always easier to abort when covered than to commit the Operation Act, knowing you could be wrong. So he let the questions flow. Had he been made by the black Lexus with the scuffed passenger box in Yafur? Had he seen the dusty yellow cab now trailing him just after his second stop at the tacky villa with the hourglass-shaped pool? Had the glint from an apartment building window during the last checkout been a fixed surveillance post? Sam popped a tab of peppermint gum in his mouth. He chewed slowly, staring at the weather-beaten windshield as Damascus neared. 
Vehicular's SDRs made it maddeningly difficult to spot repeats. He wanted to get out onto the street but had no reason, reason for the move. Suburban Damascus was now a war zone and Sam was James Hansen, a real estate investor. James Hansen would not make random stops in a war zone. James Hansen would hustle to his rented house in the old city and bed down for the night before returning to Amman. He stopped the land cruiser two blocks from the safe house. He slapped a yellowed atlas on the roof and pretended to scour the, win the winding alleys for his ultimate destination. This was the final chance to abort. Sam took in a deep breath and felt the cool night air on his skin. The hairs on his neck did not stand. He did not feel watched. He looked around, picking up the atlas like an idiot tourist in one last attempt to search for watchers in the night. He looked down the correct road and tossed the atlas into the passenger seat. He poured the Mercedes outside a house just off Bab Tuma. The Canadians had picked an ideal location on Old City's outer rim. The Archimedes safe house had easy access to the winding alleys and narrow roads of the city centre, perfect for surveillance detection, as well as the wider roads encircling it, making it accessible by car. The house was a three-storey Ottoman-era palace that sprawled for what Sam judged was half a city block. Garages were uncommon in Damascus and considered unsightly in a grand old house like this. To achieve the functionality without sacrificing aesthetic, this owner, a Canadian support asset, had fashioned an elaborate door that appeared to be one of the home's street-facing exterior walls. Sam pressed a button tucked into a gas lantern on the northern wall. It opened with a creak and he backed the car into the garage. Despite the villa's size, the corridor set behind the garage was tight. At its end, the marble floor spilled onto a set of double doors, 15 feet high, and with iron latticework wrought into Quranic phrases, forming dozens of intricate panes. Sam opened the door into the inner courtyard. A fountain gurgled in its centre, ringed by small clusters of orange and lemon trees. Unseen rocks squawked warnings as he entered. To, east, to the east, a mortar volley kicked up and he flinched instinctively before backing inside the hallway and closing the doors. The Canadians had included a floor plan in the liaison traffic, so he had no trouble uh, navigating the winding hallways to reach the kitchen. In a musty cabinet, he found the items he required. A pack of high-caliber granola bars, a baggie with two... 10 2 milligram Sanax pills, a portable oxygen concentrator, a camelback hydration pack and adult diapers. He filled the camelback with water and removed one diaper from the pack. He put everything into a black satchel and zippered it shut. Returning to the garage, he opened the Land Cruiser's rear hatch. He slid open the compartment tucked into the rear seats behind the trunk space by turning a series of hidden dials in the precise order demonstrated in Amman. Sam ran his hand along the compartment's thin lining. It was black silicon, transported from a Langley basement to a Marne station via diplomatic pouch and designed to absorb heat, rendering warm objects underneath invisible to infrared sensors. He tossed the satchel aside, wishing that CIA would tuck cyanide pills in these go-bags like the Russians did for their assets. A CIA asset caught in Syria could expect months of interrogation and torture. If Sam... Wearing Komodo shoes, he'd want the pill. To work out the stress, Sam did rounds of push-ups and sit-ups for 30 minutes. When he'd finished, he took a hot shower. Val was 15 minutes late. He didn't need to check clocks or watches anymore. Training at the farm had seen to that.
He changed into a fresh white shirt and light grey suit and returned to the kitchen to see if he could find coffee. He located an old press coated in dust along with an electric kettle and a tin of ground coffee. He didn't check the expiration date because he didn't care. He needed the caffeine. Sam steeped the coffee, let the cup cool, then drank it in three gulps. He filled a second cup, gazing at the escaping steam. He called a memorised phone number and asked for an update on the Dubai acquisition. The voice on the other end, a Syrian support asset who did not know the true meaning of any prearranged codes, told Sam that the transaction was on hold. Sam asked him to confirm. It is on hold, Mr Hansen. Sam finished the second cup of coffee in two gulps and shattered the empty mug on the floor. I'm going to stop right there because the first chapter goes on a little bit and it's quite the thing and it does get you into the book and realise what a journey ahead you may have. So I highly recommend this book, as I said again, Damascus Station, a great thriller and a great spy novel so i'm going to leave it there for the moment and i'll come back to you very soon this is luby luby's lullabies podcast thank you for listening